You would agree. That it's unlike your personality. It's rigid and flexible and you are not rigid and... Wait, rigid and inflexible. What did you say? <laughs> now I'm confused. You're trapped by your own grammar. No, yeah. Tra- <laughs> you said rigid and flexible. I said, said rigid and inflexible. Oh, okay. And yes, you are the opposite of that. I was agreeing with that. Good, good choice. Wise thing to agree to. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means. Sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs. And I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So welcome back to the podcast. This is my podcast now. Yeah, it's good to be on. I enjoy making guest appearances here. Why is the sound of a child running around in the background of your audio? Guess. You get three guesses and the first two don't count. (laughs) It's just a guess of which child is making noise. Exactly. So, um... We are tackling a pretty like challenging topic today, the challenge of having diversity of ideas and backgrounds be a prevalent part of events. And um, one of the reasons that we're talking about it is because after MicroConf Europe, somebody posted a photo of the attendees and tweeted something like, I don't something like, what is Rob Walling doing about the fact that the attendees of this European conference were majority Caucasian males. And very atypical of me, I actually weighed in on Twitter because I had a lot to say about it. But it started, of course, a lot of conversation between the two of us about events and what you're trying to accomplish and what photos of attendees would ideally look like. The tweet, it was well-meaning. Like, I don't think it was, I didn't take it as an attack or anything, but it was just, it's a conversation that I've been engaged with and thinking about really since 2012. That was our second microconf. And after the first one, where we just threw it impromptu, it was 90, if if I were to guess, it was like 97% male. And I remember we were just like, whoa, how did that happen? That seems off. And pretty quickly after that, we were like, yeah, we got to figure out how how to try to change it. But it's a, it's one without an easy fix, and it's it has gotten better over time. But it's one that takes a long time, and I've really enjoyed our, your and my conversations about it. Actually, yeah, I mean it's interesting for me because I, as a non-technical woman, spend a lot of time in technical conferences that are heavily majority male. So. I I sort of live in the space of being the the odd one out or the one who perhaps is the is the diversity representative which is which is odd but I've thought a lot about what makes an event welcoming and what makes an event diverse and I I think really before we even dive into the conversation it's really helpful to acknowledge that I feel very aware that language is super important in a conversation like this. And when we are talking about the term diversity, we're talking about really lots of different kinds of things, that there are things that make us different and unique that have not 
to do with our gender or racial or ethnic background, but have to do with our, you know, where we grew up, our perspective, our language. But generally the things that we are thinking about and focused on when we're talking about who gets a seat at the table at events is, you know, the proportion of men, women, or transgender, gender diversity. And then I think the proportion of people who are not coming from a, an Anglo-Saxon or European background. Yeah. And that's, that is one challenge is you could see a photograph of, you know, any tech event and you may not know that, that the attendees come from 35 different countries because it's, they're all Caucasian, or you may not know. I mean, the other day we got a question because we're trying to get a better handle on who is in this community of, you know, essentially independently funded and independent startup founders. And so we asked about gender and about race in the state of independent SAS survey we did. We asked in the tiny seat application and someone pointed out, you're asking about these things, but you're not asking about like, I'm handicapped and I'm legally blind. And should that, you know, is that a, a diverse factor? And then there's someone pinged, I saw a conversation on Twitter about diversity and, and there was a, a white male chimed in and he said, look, everyone focuses on these things, but like I was, was homeless as a kid and became a foster child and then I was in juvenile hall. And it's like, but if you saw a photograph of, t- of 10 folks like me, you know, and I'm now a startup founder and this and that, like I came from a pretty harsh background and, and I don't have the answer to these things. I'm not acting like I know. It's just, it's not as easy at, at, as looking at, I, I think, a photograph and trying to deduce conclusions from that. And I think really the why behind the conversation is to talk about what barriers exist that keep people from participating in events that can really move them forward as entrepreneurs or, you know, as founders can really be helpful to them. And there are things that keep lots of different kinds of people, whether it's disability access or whether it's, hey, I don't know any other woman there and I don't really want to walk into a a room of 120 men by myself without a buddy. (laughs) You know, there are things like that that keep people from participating and then from both benefiting the community and experiencing the the personal benefit of being part of the community. So I think that's that's why the conversation is important. Oh, absolutely. It's super important. And I think it's, again, it's like there, there are no easy fixes. Otherwise, we would all do them. But the only way it moves forward is by having the, these conversations. And it's by having it top of mind. You know, as someone who runs an event as well as, as an accelerator that essentially is, has another community. I think it's community more than event, right? When I, when I actually think about the word. Because like I would say Tiny Seeds a community, but it's not necessarily uh, an event. But as someone who is involved in these communities, it's, it's top of mind constantly and we we have ongoing conversations about it and and that's the hard part is you know we might someone attended microconf you know a couple of years ago and this is after my co-founder had single-handedly you know created like the scholarship program and has has diversity is improving and has improved every year but if if you do come to an event and it's it's not just microconf it's any tech conference ever that you've been to you know and you can say yeah wow this this conference has a diversity problem. But what you don't know is is all the efforts that have been put into it, perhaps behind the scenes that folks are making. And I do see improvement happening. Do you do you see that from your perspective or do you have exposure to that? Do I do I see improvement in events becoming more diverse? Yeah. Um I do think there is more sensitivity to it. Like 
you know, I attended a, an event earlier this year in which there was a whole breakout session about women in business. And this was at an event where, I don't know, probably fewer than 10% of the attendees were women. And I was kind of thinking, oh, I don't like, is this just going to be an event about women that women attend to talk about themselves? But to my like great pleasant surprise, many, many men attended that conversation and people who are leaders in their field and entrepreneur, you know, like that was important to me. And I think that is different. I think in the past, a conversation about women in business or diversity within technology was a conversation that happened among those people who were most affected by it. And the people who sat in the privileged position of not having to worry about it, didn't worry about it. So the thing that I think is changing is that it's become a little bit more of a shared responsibility in these communities, as opposed to like, the women are going to go over to this place and talk about women's issues, as opposed to like, no, 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 everybody wins and loses, depending on how involved women are in higher levels of leadership within businesses. Yeah, that's really cool. I've seen that shift as well. So, you know, it got me thinking about like, what does a community leader, like what role can they play in helping to create safe spaces for diverse people to be part of communities? And, you know, I've been to, um, to events that do this well. I've been part of communities that do this well, and then others that not so, that don't do such a great job. But when I think about what comes down to the leaders or the event organizers, there are a few things that I think they can control. And one thing is that they can control what the stage looks like. And this is something that I think you and the rest of the the MicroConf team have done a great job at in that often the stage, the people who make up the speakers, the people who are getting time up front, who are having the opportunity to share their ideas and their perspective and to talk about their businesses, that stage is often a much more diverse looking crew than the attendees, which I think speaks to the fact that that you and Mike and the other people who have been in decision-making positions have said, no, we're going to make sure the voices that we can invite to the to the table represent a variety of backgrounds. Yeah, it's been a very, very deliberate decision. And every time we look for speakers, it is a deliberate decision to do that. It is, does not happen by accident. And in fact, it makes the process of finding speakers a lot more time-consuming and a lot more difficult, and we think it's worth it. Yeah, and I think it that those are the ways that that culture changes, right? Those are the ways when we see people with different kinds of backgrounds being given places of authority and being acknowledged as the thought leaders and amazing humans that they are. I, I hate to even say it aloud because I feel like it shouldn't be true, but it still does reinforce for everybody else, like, oh a woman can be an incredibly strong leader or, you know, someone with this kind of background can be an incredibly like ingenuitive technologist. But I think we're, we're changing the default settings. The default settings are still there because that's how our minds work. Our minds sort of seek defaults. So we are always taking in information and data from our surroundings and from our experiences that help us to change our assumptions and the more that you see different kinds of voices up on stage killing it, the more that your assumptions and expectations begin to adjust to this new information. Right. It's good to have, you know, a role model or someone, role model is probably too strong a word, just 
someone who you resonate with, someone who looks like you, someone who you can see yourself in their shoes to be in this position, to be a startup founder or to be a speaker and to think to yourself, I can do that too. I think the other thing that leaders and organizers can really control are ways that they can move this forward is to even be really mindful of who is on the planning team to have a variety of voices involved in planning the event because that's how you you know you know about great speakers from different ancillary communities it's also how you think about remembering things like if we're going to have a party on the beach what if we have someone in a wheelchair or who uses crutches like we we need that voice represented on the planning team to sort of remind us, oh, we have to make sure that we are making choices that are inclusive to everyone. And if you don't have a variety of voices involved in the in the planning process, then I think you can easily miss things that could be perceived as unwelcoming or insensitive. And I was recently, I've recently had the opportunity to speak at WordCamp US. And WordCamps are, you know, they're organized by volunteers, but I have seen some amazing organizing teams at WordCamps. And this year in particular, I really noticed that the WordCamp US team had all kinds of different folks from different backgrounds, highly technical, less technical, people with from different parts of the country with different kinds of stories. And I think that the speaking lineup and the whole ethos of that event really was shaped by how many diverse voices helped to plan it. And it was a great event because of the just level of thoughtfulness and the range of thoughtfulness and conversation that went into it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think that's where, uh, I mean, I, I'm just going to repeat what you said, but it's just having, <laughs> having more diverse Welcome voices. Welcome to my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, it's, it's been super helpful for me personally to to work with other folks who who have different opinions on that, I would say. From my perspective, I don't know if this is helpful, but it's like, you know, first it was Mike and I running MicroConf and then Xander is part of that now. And then, you know, Tracy was helping me. Tracy, who who is a program manager for Tiny Seed, but I basically borrowed some of her time to to assist with thinking through speakers and and vetting and all that kind of stuff. So that I think is is definitely a valuable thing for any event to to think about. So the third thing that leaders and organizers can really manage or, or, you know, help to shape creating a space that is helpful for people with lots of diverse backgrounds is, is the culture of the event. And that is really paying attention to language, how, you know, are people spoken of respectfully from stage? Are there, are there jokes about gender? Are there jokes about race? Are there, you know, sort of sexist assumptions that are getting, into the culture of the event and how do the organizers handle that? How do they conduct themselves in ways that really model inclusion and respect for lots of different kinds of people? And I know that at a couple of these heavily male events that I've attended, I've had the organizer come and check in with me and just say like, are you doing okay? You know, do you feel welcome? Is there anything that I can do? And I have a sense that they are just monitoring and have their their eye out to make sure that the attendees at their event are conducting themselves in a way that's consistent with, you know, a professional and inclusive environment. And, you know, if you're organizing an event, I'm not, I'm definitely not advocating that you need to like go to your female attendees and make sure they're okay or, you know, that you need to like feel responsible for other people's behavior because you don't. Everybody is a grown-up. But I do think that the tone that you set 
and the code of conduct and the way that you talk about and manage the code of conduct, those kinds of things do create a shared assumption and they create this basic expectation that you will treat people with respect and dignity or you won't be here. And I do think that that is, that that is important for organizers to take the lead on. Absolutely. The first step is getting a code of conduct in place because oftentimes you'll see the, an event run when it's an afterthought. You know, it's much like a, it can be a terms of use and a privacy policy. Like that's how it, it, it kind of seems when you're trying to run the event because you're dealing with all these logistics and you're trying to pick menus and you're trying to find a venue and you're trying to figure out who's vegan and, you know, who's gluten free. And I mean, there's just detail after detail after detail. And getting a code of conduct in place can be an afterthought for some people, but it is very, very important to have something in writing and communicate what it is that, that you expect from your attendees and then to enforce it, as you're saying. And that if folks don't, don't live by that, then they aren't invited back. And if even worse, if speakers break that at the event or break it from stage, then that's, that's a major issue. That's where running events can be fun, but there are some really stressful things about it. And, and that's where you know running events has fun parts and then it has parts that are that are hard so enforcing rules or enforcing a code of conduct if if someone doesn't think they're in the wrong is one of those sucky parts but it's something that as a as an organizer is i believe is your responsibility to create a safe space for everyone who's attending one of the reasons that you know this has come up between us lately is that have you announced that microconf is in minneapolis yeah Okay. Many, many times. I thought That's, so. We're selling I thought tickets so. already. Yeah. I've been talking about it. I, but I, Thanks for checking. <laughs> yeah, can I say this? Can I say this on the podcast? So, woohoo, big reveal. Microconf is in Minneapolis. And those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while know that one of the things that I love to do in my spare time is, is basically like circus arts. We'll just leave it there, but a lot of aerial stuff. And I have this great community of amazing, amazing performers here in the Twin Cities. And so when I learned that MicroConf was going to be here, I was like, Rob, Rob, let's do a startup circus. Like my company, Zen Founder, will pay for it. I'll curate it. It'll be like a little, you know, side entertainment at one of the mixers. And it can be the little startup circus brought to you by Zen Founder. And it'll, it'll just be like, be fun, something for that's ambient and interesting for people to, to watch while they're chatting over cocktails or whatever. And of course, I think this is a fabulous idea because this is the like little circus world that I live in. And it's like all of the things that I love coming together in one place, like my entrepreneur community, microconf, you, circus. Woohoo, it's amazing. <coughs> Excuse me. I got so excited. I choked on my own saliva. But you had some major apprehension. And, you know, rightfully, wisely so, we've sort of checked it out with a couple of other people. And a number of people that I really respect their opinion agreed with you and your apprehension were about the optics of what it might look like for a circus performer, often really beautiful bodies that are extended in the air, what that might look like from an optics perspective, whether someone would you know, feel like it had a, a sexist connotation that would, would be present at microconf. Yeah, it's and it it's a bummer because when you suggested it, I was like, that would that would be awesome. I know, you know, I've obviously met a lot of the folks you do circus with, and you guys are athletes, gymnasts. I mean, it's it's truly a it's a hard thing to do, and you you do it well. And I've seen a bunch of performances, and it's super cool. But the struggle is that someone won't like it, right? 
maybe it's one person, maybe it's five people, maybe it's 10, someone won't like it. And people don't, won't listen to the story. Like we could tell the story of how this happened. And to some people, that's just not, it's, it's not enough. The story of, you know, you, you yourself are a performer. And frankly, we know all the people that are, that are here, you know, hanging from trapezes and uh, I guess it's not trapezes, but it's the silks and doing crazy acrobatics. We could bring the trapeze. Yeah, I know. Exactly. But that's the thing is I, I can almost guarantee it would, it would be an issue someone would have an issue with it. And at that point, it's like, it becomes a problem that now you're like defending something and someone takes a picture and then they're like, look at this happened at this event. And it's hard. It's a hard, these are hard issues. These are hard issues because there's a whole continuum of, of beliefs on it, right? You have someone all the way over to the left and to the right. And I don't mean politically. I just mean, imagine a left and right. And there's a spectrum and there are some folks who are pretty even keeled about it. And just like, yeah, this needs to get fixed and it's going to take time and things are getting better. And there are folks who are like, this is not an issue and are denying it. And then there are folks where everything, you know, every little tiny potential slight is taken in the worst possible way. And, and you know, there, there's this span of beliefs and that's what makes it, that's what makes it hard. I don't actually understand that. What From where you sit as an organizer of an event and as a leader of a community and in multiple ways, like why does other people having a diversity of perspectives about it matter to you? Uh, as an organizer, I have to think across that entire spectrum. Don't you just have to think about what is defensible from your perspective? Maybe. Well, I, I guess the, this whole like the circus conversation is sort of this light example of it, but it did it did bring up the conversation, right, of, you know, I could invite performers, I could have equal number of male and female performers, I could dress them all in all black. So there's, there, you know, no one is looking particularly sassy or sensual. And all it takes is one person to take a picture of a female body, you know, doing the splits in the sky above microconf attendees in it. And someone tweets, there's a, there's a stripper at microconf, which of course is the furthest possible thing from reality ever. But you have to do the math of how, how do I explain, defend, clarify, tell a story, or is it just not worth doing it in the first place? Yeah, that's it. That's it. And at that point, if someone were to tweet that, then it would be on Twitter during the event. And I'm imagining like sitting there looking at my... F- it just becomes the conversation, right? <laughs> becomes the thing. Did you see what's happening on Twitter? And then it's me getting on saying, oh, well, it's my wife's, you know, my she's part of the thing. And then... <laughs> my wife is the stripper in microcom. It's my wife's group. And, but pe- again, some people don't care about the story. You know, some do. And, and with some, it's fine. And again, it would be... Maybe it, would, maybe it would be 99% of the attendees just would be like, uh, not care or they think it's cool, but it doesn't take, as you said, it, it, you know, it kind of takes one issue for it to become a, a big issue. And it's, I don't want to go down that road. Yeah. So sorry, guys, there's not going to be a startup circus at MicroConf. I know. I'm like super, it would have been fun too, man, because your performances are like super cool. I could just bring the fire breathing friends. That would <laughs> I probably work I don't better. do that, but I, I, I know people. Yeah, totally. You know, I think the other part of this conversation that I really wanted to spend a little bit of time talking to you about is the fact that there is such limited scope of power that that you or I have as leaders to really make meaningful change in the dynamics that make inclusion and diversity comfortable. And I think one of the one of the things that I want to really say really clearly is that this is 
if this is something you care about, this is something that is a responsibility for everyone in the community. It is not up to the leaders to do something about diversity. Or, you know, we've had other people doing accelerators or things in the startup world who are like doing something about diversity. And I don't even know what that means, actually. It is sort of everybody's responsibility to be a good enough human to make all kinds of voices feel welcome. So, you know, for example, I will go to events and be in a group of men and a new person will join the conversation and will introduce themselves to the men and not to me. It has happened to me more than once. And it's it's okay, like I don't have a fit about it, but I think because I'm a woman in a group of men, people assume that I'm someone's wife, which is still actually really not a good reason to not introduce yourself to someone, or they assume that I'm not important, which is also not a good reason not to introduce yourself to someone. You know, I don't really have a great explanation for why this happens, except that it does happen that a woman or someone from a minority background can be easily overlooked by other attendees and not even extended the same kind of social welcoming and social grace that you would expect from any kind of human conversation. And so one of the things that I would say to anybody who's attending an event is really just make sure that you are polite and warm and welcoming to every single human who is there, which I, I do think takes, that takes a little bit more intentionality and effort than people realize because it's easy to do the default. It's easy to like talk to the three people that you were met last year or to the friends that you came with, but recognizing that people are coming in the room who they are aware. I am aware that I am one of three women in a room of a hundred. I know what that feels like. I don't forget that for a second. And so the people that really come up and are welcoming, that's hugely important to me and helps me to feel both safe and that I belong there, that I have a place at the table. I think it feels like what you're saying is it's all of our responsibility. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and that I think is super important. I don't think everyone thinks that. I don't think everyone understands that, that it is up to all of us to do this. It is not that single person's responsibility to change this for everyone or the person who is in control or in command or whatever that they can if they they could wave a magic wand and fix all this but they are not working they're not working hard enough to do that i don't i don't think that's i mean from my perspective i know that that's not the case because we've been trying to wave our magic wand for years and you know it it's making progress but it's not it's certainly far from where where we all want it to be i think another thing that all of us can do is to be mindful of who we are inviting to events. So if you are getting ready to go to, to MicroConf or business to software or any, any event and you have the thought, wow, I wish this event had more women at it, or I wish this event had more people of color. Like it's on you to invite a person of color or a woman or someone who you would like to see be more present at that event it's on you to invite them, to reach out to someone. I would like to see more women at MicroConf. I have invited three women to attend MicroConf this spring. So, you know, I think people don't always know about events that could be helpful to them professionally. And they don't always know how to get their foot in the door. And so I think if this is something that's important to you, I would just say like, take the steps to invite someone in your network to come to an event because that's how the the whole sort of shape of the of the event will change. Yep, and that's been 
that's been one of the helpful drivers for you know helping make microconf in particular more diverse as folks are inviting others and that that's a nice way to do it i think something else that i'll i'll bring up it's it's related but a little bit tangential but like we made a very deliberate decision to move microconf us from vegas to minneapolis just out of vegas really is the is the decision and it was a hard decision because there's a bunch it's much cheaper to do it in vegas easier to get to you know all these things but we felt like it wasn't it didn't feel like as safe a space for women to come to vegas and some folks had said, I don't feel comfortable coming. If you moved it out, I would be more likely to come. Now, what's funny is we said, all right, we moved it to Minneapolis. It's in late April. And what I've heard so far, well, A, I've heard a lot of thumbs up about this is a great move. I do think it'll help with diversity and that's great. But I've also heard, you know, there's folks complaining that, oh boy, it's going to be it's going to be in the 40s or the 50s. That's too cold. I'm not going. Or it's going to be, it's more expensive now because, you know, like the hotel room is more expensive than last year because it's not Vegas. And I think that's what we all need to realize as a community is it's like there are trade-offs with this and we all have to make some sacrifice at a certain point in order to keep this improving. And one of the sacrifices I think all of us who attend microconf have to make is that, yeah, it's not in Vegas anymore. And so if you want to go gamble and, and you want it to be warm and you, you, know, you want the hotel room to be cheaper, then we potentially are excluding some folks. And so that is the reason, or that is, played a huge part in us moving it out of there. And it, it took us, I think it took us a while to realize how important it was to do that. But once we did, we knew it was the right decision. I think moving forward, it's, it's something we're just, you know, we've, we've been keeping in mind and, and we'll continue to as we, as we go forward. I think maybe a good spot to leave the conversation is to acknowledge that community leaders definitely have a part to play in the things that they can control, like the stage, the voices that go into planning the event, the code of conduct or expectations that are communicated from leadership. But that changing the nature of our professional networks of the events that we choose to attend is really the responsibility of all of us. And the extent to which we are welcoming and inclusive, and then of course, the the extent to which we intentionally decide to go out of maybe our tight-knit circle of other entrepreneurs that we spend a lot of time with to put ourselves in places where we're interacting with people with different kinds of backgrounds and then making some relationships and then inviting those people into the other communities and the other events that we are part of. That that kind of cross-pollination among communities is how we all get the best ideas, we all get the best, richest network, and we all kind of grow together. And when we stay really siloed, it can become like running on the hamster wheel. Like you're sort of with the same people talking about the same ideas year after year. And it's not an event's responsibility to like break you out of that. That's that's your responsibility. And in doing that, you make every event or community that you're part of better. So I have definitely in my professional journey benefited from from mentors and from community leaders who have intentionally said, hey, we would like your voice as part of our organization. We would like your voice as part of our event. And given me an invitation that says, hey, you're, you're not a technical founder. You are, you know, you're a woman with a different kind of background, but you're welcome here. And we're, we're welcoming your perspective. And that's how I've launched my speaking career because it's been invited. And I think there are ways that all of us can do that on both the macro and micro level among the, the spheres of influence that we have in our lives. 
Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.